Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Thursday evening, September 30th, 2021. Uh, going to be a fun, fun show this week, folks. You're definitely going to want to hang around for the second half, which is when Drew and I interview Kirk Thatcher, the writer-director of Muppet Haunted Mansion. Kirk is a really great guy and shares a number of stories about his career at Henson, like how many years it took to actually get a Muppet Haunted House movie made. But first comes the news, and today's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online with storybookdestinations.com. And Drew, uh, all right, literally, what, minutes ago? Yeah. Some big, big news broke, right? Yes, Disney and Scarlett Johansson have... Uh have reached an agreement. Obviously, this has been in the better part of the summer has been Mm -hmm. spent with them bickering back and forth about uh, Black Widow and what she was owed. And she said, I am happy to have resolved our differences with Disney. I'm incredibly proud of the work we've done together over the years and have greatly enjoyed our creative relationship with the team. I look forward to continuing our collaboration in years to come. And obviously... There was actually a statement from Alan Bergman who said, We appreciate her contributions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and look forward to working together on a number of upcoming projects, including Disney's Tower of Terror. So Tower of Terror is still in the mix, and it was actually name-checked by Alan Bergman. So, wow. yeah, there you go. Oh. Okay, and what makes me crazy here is you shared a piece of information with me weeks ago that... We still can't reveal. Correct. Um, but, if, but if people knew who Scarlet is supposed to be working on for the, with the Tower of, of on the Tower of Terror movie. It is a very exciting personality, I think, that is working alongside uh, Scarlet on this project. And obviously a script by Josh Cooley, our friend who directed uh, Toy Story 4. So true, true, true. Okay. It, everything I've heard is very promising. So the fact that Bergman called out Tower of Terror. Okay. Pretty good, Jim. That, Pretty that's good. That's great news. By the way, last week you, you talked about you're, you're now officially part of the the, the critics association, the critics choice association. Crit- yeah. So yeah. So I have to ask: Have the screeners started showing up yet, or anything interesting? No, in nothing yet. But hopefully, around Thanksgiving is when they really start to pile up. So okay. you know, okay. I can make a dent in all these movies coming out this year. Very cool. Okay. Well, I I, I bring up things in the mail because just today. I got a copy of Playboy magazine, specifically the issue from October of 1982. I I bought this issue off of eBay because of Lawrence Linderman's interview with Robin Williams. Um, And it's interesting. Robin actually did two interviews of size uh, with Playboy over his career. This was the first. And what's kind of interesting about this, this is where Robin talks at length um, about uh, that Disney Paramount co-production Popeye. And I've been doing a, a, a deep, deep dive on Popeye lately. There's so many great stories associated with the December 1980 release. And um, I, I, in fact, I just picked up, I guess, the they finally put out a Blu-ray of this movie in December of last year. Yeah. And yeah, I got a Paramount sent it to me. It's it's really nice. Yeah. Now, it's got the, the Popeye premiere on it. And what uh, what is it? A, a return to Sweet Haven uh, feature. 
So. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I haven't looked at the special features, but we all know that those sets were have, are still there. They are. They to are. This day. It, it's a built-in Malta. Um, but uh, you know uh, what I loved about this interview, uh, and again, you can remember this is uh, Robin talking. The movie came out in December of 1980. This is him talking. Roughly, you know, a year and a half later. What he he says is that how we got the job, I give her a shirt about Popeye when Robert Evans asked me to be in the picture. Dustin Hoffman was originally supposed to play Popeye, and he was also uh, supposed to do Garp. And, you know, Robin jokes, if there are any other films you don't want to do, Dustin, just let me know and I'll be there. But anyway, Mork and Mindy was really hot at this time, so that's why Evans reached out to, to Williams and wanted to see what happens. I, I don't know if you saw early this week there was, in fact, I think it keyed off of Google using Christopher Reeves as one of their art pieces of the day. But there was an interview out there where he talked about how doing... Superman, having come out of studying acting at, at Juilliard with the, the, the people of a generation, and people initially made fun of, of Reeves because he, he made this choice, and he says, well, it was kind of a calculated risk. Right. Uh, and what's interesting is, is Williams kind of felt the same way about Popeye. He said, I felt really confined by the work I was doing on television at the time. I thought, with Popeye, I might then get a chance to explode to show the world what I could really do with the right role but but then Paramount pulled the plug on the film and said you people have to come home you're tired and you're over budget and you have to stay any longer you're on your own so all right Paramount pulls the plug just as Altman and company are getting ready to shoot Popeye's slapstick filled finale which is supposed to be this affectionate tribute to the the Fleischer films filled with all sorts of slapstick but but with no money coming in from Paramount, uh, Williams goes on to say, there's no boffo ending. On the last day of shooting, we are struggling desperately to come up with an ending. And we all knew it would take great special effects to pull off, but, but the special effects guys had already left Malta. And so here's Shelley Duvall, who's supposed to be attacked by an octopus, but the one that had been built for the movie can't do anything. So, so Williams goes on to say, now what killed me is Disney had put up half the money for this movie. And Paramount hadn't told them yet that they'd pulled the plug on the money for the movie. And I'm sure that if they knew we were still over there in Malta trying to make the end of Popeye work and that we were stuck with an octopus that couldn't even manipulate its arms, I'm sure that Disney would have put a few Imagineers on a plane and, and then we would have had an octopus that would wink and blink and blow bubbles and smoke underwater. <laughs> um, so I remember reading this interview. I got Playboy just for the articles, Drew. Just for the articles. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But back in 82, Williams, to prepare for the role of Popeye, supposedly watch 50 hours of flight, or, you know, the original Fleischer Popeye shorts to get the voice down and, and how the character moved. And I bring that up because, okay, folks, I know that this episode of Fine Tuning won't be available for downloading till Tuesday, October 5th. So what I'm about to tell you might frustrate a few of you, but Turner Classic Movies, known to TCM to cable TV fans, will be hosting a celebration of the 100th anniversary of Fleischer Studios on Saturday, October 2nd. This fabled animation studio, which was originally known as Out of the Inkwell Studios, was found in New York back in 1921. Now I bring this up because according to the TCM website, that cable channel has, and I'm quoting directly now, hundreds of movies on demand. 
Our extensive library is updated each month with new titles, including introductions by guests, a special guests and our TCM hosts, including Ben Bankowitz. Movies are presented uncut and commercial free. So what I'm hoping here, folks, is that this 100th anniversary of Fleischer Studio programming that I'm about to describe will be available as an on-demand offering. Just sharing these titles, so jot them down and try to chase these down. Now, supposedly on Saturday, October 2nd, 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, TCM presented Cartoon Carnival. Now, this is a, a TCM career produced in 2021, 90-minute documentary that charts the birth of the American cartoon through the silent era until the arrival of Disney. It's told through interviews with animation historians and supported by archive clips. I, I realize you just went cableless recently, yes. right? Yeah, so you, we can we can FaceTime and you can just point the phone towards your TV. <laughs> anyway. That way we can watch it together. Okay, cool. Well, I am okay, planning yeah. on DVRing these things, but the next following Cartoon Carnival, being at 945, they're going to present a series of shorts that focuses on Fleischer Studio during Hollywood's silent era. Then at 1045, there'll be a series of shorts that what Fleischer produced during the sound era. It sounds like a killer presentation. And by the way, we, uh, Drew and I should thank friend of the show, Bernie. Uh, he gave us the heads up about this. And I, I really wish we talked about it earlier. But again, I'm hoping that some of this stuff is available on demand. And speaking of stuff that, that's already underway, Adam's Family 2 comes out on tomorrow, right? Uh, Friday, October yes, 1st. correct. Though it's already screening around the country with those, what, uh, those Thursday Thursday night preview screenings, I think they call them. They, they, they help boost the opening weekend box office. Right. But, uh, look, you and I had talked previously about, up until just a few weeks ago, really? Adam's Family 2 was supposed to face some competition at the multiplex that... I was supposed to go head-to-head -head with Hotel Transylvania Transformania. But then on August 18th, there was that story in Forbes about how Amazon had supposedly agreed to pay $100 million to get the rights to this fourth and final film in the franchise. And have you heard anything since then? I have not heard a thing, which is really weird because you would think... Mm. With every streamer jockeying for Halloween programming supremacy, yeah. that they would they would at least date it. But I haven't heard anything about it. I mean, it's had more more dates than you or I have, Jim. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you're right. No less than four release dates. But in each situation, you know, I mean, fr from the fact that, for example, when it was first when they announced in February 2019, they announced that it was initially supposed to be released to theaters in December 22nd. 2021 and, and let's face it that's christmas that's that's a huge date for family films so that suggests sony had confidence in this thing right yeah okay and i, I think when it was christmas it also had a christmas theme really which we know oh. since has been okay. abandoned yeah i didn't know that yeah. okay um, but then, I mean, when you, you watch, what, April of last year, we saw them move it into, set it up with an, uh, get a, an early August release date it, this year. Then it got pushed back to the middle of July of this year, which, again, I realize it's the year of the pandemic. Summer Blockbuster isn't going to do what a traditional summer blockbuster does during a pandemic. But the fact that they pushed it back into summer blockbuster country again suggests that there was some confidence in this thing. So why 
do you suppose, I mean, if, if they've made this deal, why the radio silence? I don't know. It's it's really interesting and very bizarre. I, I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. You were just talking about how this, this time of year, everybody is doing Halloween-themed programming, and, and one of the first who got into this business was Freeform, well, uh, back when it was ABC Family. And their uh, 31 Nights of Halloween programming event is, is well underway at this point. In fact, uh, it, today, the, the day the show goes live, October 5th. They start things off. They're showing the original Shrek from April of 2001 at 3. That's then followed by the first Shrek sequel, Shrek 2, from May of 2004. Then they what's interesting, they step around Shrek 3. So I don't know if that means that Freeform doesn't have the rights or maybe they don't think it's all that good a movie, which I would not necessarily <laughs> have a problem with. Uh, but they go sh- straight to Shrek Forever After from May of 2010. Then, of course, it, it's Hocus Pocus. In fact, that Hocus Pocus on, on uh, today, it, this will be the third time that Hocus Pocus will have been shown uh, as part of the 31 Nights of uh, Halloween programming event on Freeform. It, and they, when it's done, by the end of the month, they will have shown it 13 times. And then uh, the nice programming actually wraps with a Treehouse of Horror-a-thon, four Halloween-themed episodes of The Simpsons airing back-to-back, uh, starting at midnight. You're forgetting the scariest part of any night on Freeform, <laughs> which is the 500 Club at 11. Oh, uh, we have the... talked about that, haven't we? The, the, the black card thing? Yes, I cannot believe that it is still go ongoing. With all of the legal maneuvering that Disney is capable mm-hmm. of, it's just such a bummer, too, to, to have it just be right in the middle of the night, like... Just well, laughing at well, you. Well, the weird part of it is, is as I understand it, the, the Seven Hundred Club with Pat Robertson, it airs. I want to say at eleven in the morning and eleven at night, and it is. It's grandfathered into the deal. There's no workaround, and I still don't understand what Pat gets out of it because I can't imagine. <laughs> you know, the Venn diagram of freeform watchers and 700 club supporters, that has to be a tiny group. But he's not willing to give up whatever spotlight he has. And more to the point, this month in particular, I mean, this is Pat going head to head with, we've got animated features from Pixar, we got Monsters, Inc., Monsters University, as well as the, the seasonal special, Toy Story of Terror. Uh, we've got Tim Burton's Night Beaver for Christmas, Corpse Bride, also Frankenweenie. And we were just talking about Sony Pictures Animation. Interesting, a, a Freeform has the rights to Hotel Transylvania 2 and Hotel Transylvania Summer Vacation, but not the original uh, Hotel Transylvania. That, uh, any idea who has the streaming rights for that these days? Or Well, we're, we're talking about linear broadcast, which is completely different from streaming rights. This is but true. This eventually, is true. eventually, they will all end up on Disney+. Plus. Um, because they signed that deal with Sony That's earlier this right. year, where That's right. uh, a lot of their legacy content will live at on Disney Plus after that first window. Wow. Um, okay. So maybe they have the show on there too, and it'll be a nice little uh, no, just dive into Hotel we're Transylvania. Willing to take bets that you know we thought Hotel Transylvania Transformania would end up at Disney, so. Um, yeah, you know, that's what's fascinating about this Amazon thing, which again we still don't know about. Speaking of Disney Plus, when Drew and I get back, we'll share that interview with Kirk Thatcher. But first, a few ads. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. And speaking of ads, a number of trailers dropped this week. First of all, what did you think of, I mean, obviously last week we, we, we did the interview with the, the, the folks with the firm in Canto. What did you, th- you think of the trailer? Uh, I liked it. I mean, they, we we saw a little rough cut of this mm-hmm. during the press day, which mm-hmm. I thought was really great. Mm-hmm. And I cannot wait to see the the other hour of Encanto after after seeing those thirty minutes. I'm I'm pretty pretty excited about this one. How about you? I have to admit, I I, I am looking forward to it, but but at the same time, for the different stuff. I mean, again, I'm just fascinated by the notion of our first Disney heroine who doesn't have ice making ability or or fairy godmother to back her up it's and and more to the point you know that the the rather stern grandmother genuinely intrigues me and and what's kind of weird i've been looking at twitter that evidently there are a number of of fans of fine-tuning who from portugal who have been tweeting out there's a stern grandmother evidently uh, portugal may have the uh, cornered the market on stern grandmothers so they're really looking forward to this film (laughs) on the other hand um i gotta say i really loved the trailer that got put out there for sky dance animations so this is the their first short for for apple tv right blush yeah yeah, this will be the first. It's the first anything really, I think, from Skydance mm-hmm. Animation and Apple TV, um, and it'll be, it'll be on the platform tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So by the time that this episode airs, we w- we can all have enjoyed Blush, and we will we will discuss it on the next episode. I'm sure you and I. Okay. Um, do we? But yeah, it looks great. Do we know if Mr. Lassiter is on the credits for this? Or? I believe he is. And I also believe, I saw that Nathan Greno also mm-hmm. is credited because he provided some storyboards for this one. It is written and directed by Joe Mateo, mm-hmm. who, Jim, you you love because he did Prep and Landing. That's right. So, so mm. this is a you know a great vet from from animation from Disney Animation. Okay. So executive produced by John Lasseter, and it is the first Apple TV Skydance Animation project before features Luck and Spellbound and the upcoming animated series The Search for Wandla. So there you go, Jim. Oh, That's wait. all I know. Okay. Okay. So gotta go check that out. And and finally, we have our trailer. For Maya and the Three, as a fan of the Book of Life, it's just I am just so thrilled to to be basically going back to this world, to, to going back to this level and this style of animation. What's, yeah. What did you think of the, the the trailer? Well, I actually didn't watch the trailer because I have watched 
a few episodes, and I don't want to be spoiled by anything that happens later in the, show, in the series. Okay. So I have refrained, but I, I don't think I can talk about it yet. But it is, it is very much everything that that you and I were hoping it would be. Uh, I think I can say that okay. it is a real treat. Um, Okay. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to finish it and to be able to talk about it. We're going to try to have Jorge on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really excited. Killer, killer, killer. Okay. But speaking of having folks on the show, this this brings us now to to Kirk Thatcher, who has had quite the career. I don't think we got to talk about this as part of the show, but did did you see how he got his start in show business? Um, no, well, I know. Is it does it have anything to do with his uh, his cameo in Star Trek Four? <laughs> well, sort of. He definitely dabbled in the in the Star World. I mean, he started it off. Well, first of all, I have to explain how he got the gig at Lucasfilm and wound up working on Return of the Jedi. It turns out his mom comes home from church one day. He's a SoCal kid. And his mom goes, hey, get to this get to the church whose son worked on those Star Wars movies. Maybe you should go talk to him. And this other guy turned out to be Joe Johnston. <laughs> so and basically what Kirk said to him was, I will do anything. I will do anything to work in these movies. And eventually Joe reached out to him and said, hey, we're setting up the creature shop, basically, for Return of the Jedi. And... You know, we need basically the guy who's the lowest man on the totem pole. We need the guy who's going to do the scut work. And and by that, I mean, we need somebody to paint the room where the creature shop is going to be set up. And then we need guys to clean molds. And he, he, that's the thing. He came in at the ground level. And then he worked so hard at Lucasfilm on a number of different projects that um, he he caught the attention of of Leonard Nimoy. Because you've got to remember that, that at that point, Lucasfilm is now doing the effects work for Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3 and he becomes Leonard Nimoy's production assistant on the film and uh, that's actually how you know he he'd seen the scene in the script where the punk is on the bus with the mohawk and hassling uh, Captain Kirk and, and, and Mr. Spock and he was you know let me be the punk and it's like you're you're willing to dye your hair yes and you're willing to 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 shave your head to get you know, into a mohawk yes and it's like and you know and he describes you know that in that distinct Nimoy voice interesting um but he he got the gig and do do you know the weird follow-up story for that for spider-man homecoming yes yes he got to reprise his role in that montage where Spider-Man is sort of doing very inconsequential uh, helping around the city. He actually reprises his role. Same same look, same boombox. Uh, it's all there. It's really, really funny. So well, he's, he's he's standing by the, the hot dog part, he is, I want to say. He right? is. You know, but, but, but what's fascinating about this is that when Kirk was telling me the story, he was in a meeting with with uh, Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel. Uh, never told me what the meeting was about, but he's in a meeting. And Kevin starts to enthuse about, oh my God, I love Star Trek, you know, The Voyage Home. And I love what you did, you know, as the punk. And you know what? We're shooting Spider-Man Homecoming in New York right now. And you should be in that movie. And it's like 24 hours later, he's in New York City. He's got the boombox. He's got the costume on. And this all came out of sitting down in Kevin Feige's office, you know, and uh, talking about some other projects. 
Um, so again, just weird how movies work somehow. And speaking of which, as we mentioned at the top of the show, um, Kevin has been trying, or excuse me, Kirk has been trying for what almost thirty years now to get uh, a, a, some sort of movie made with the Muppets that involves a haunted house, right? Yeah, it's it was really interesting to hear how how desperately he's wanted to do this because I think he's directed two Christmas specials Mm -hmm. slash movies for the Muppets so finally he gets his Halloween movie after all these years Jim okay let's let Kirk himself tell the story okay uh, Kirk just to start things off and again give you some idea of how long I have been tracking this project. I had a meeting <laughs> with the folks I mean, back when it was the Muppet Holding Company after yep. Disney had acquired them in, in February 2004. And I remember being at a conference room in Glendale with, with Chris Curtin, yep. and he was laying out the whole plan. And, and, um, and he actually handed me this info sheet. Right in the middle of the info sheet is a mention of Muppet Haunted House with a script by Kirk Thatcher and Jim Lewis. So yes, sir. that was, what, 17 years ago? Oh, um, and, and we had written a special a version of that, a different mm-hmm. version of that, probably six years earlier uh, in the mid-90s. Holy this is this, this a haunted mansion or a haunted house Halloween Muppet special has been in a project I've been pitching since probably 95 90s after we finished uh, treasure island i just thought and you know and then when disney bought the muppets and, mm-hmm. and uh, it, then they you know because you never know with the ip mm-hmm. if you're allowed to use it you know even though it's owned by the same company but then mm-hmm. when they, they came up to us a couple of years ago and said what do you think because i when i first met the imagineering people who are running the muppets now i said i'm up at halloween thing we got to do something and I, I didn't say haunted mansion because i knew you know, just because it was owned by Disney doesn't mean you could play in that in that playground. Mm-hmm. And uh, after we did Muppets Now, they came to me and said, what do you think of a Muppets Haunted Mansion special or movie? I said, oh, my gosh, that's two dreams come true to do a Halloween thing with the Muppets. And I grew up in L.A., so the Haunted Mansion, my top three rides, uh, like in my life still, it's mm-hmm. the Haunted Mansion, the Tiki Room and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean with the Jungle Cruise probably in there, too. And so to do anything with the Haunted Mansion and the Muppets, and I grew up loving the Muppets and all that, was just kind of, I just, my head kind of exploded. It was super exciting. It's been, it's been a lot of work, but really, really rewarding to see it come to fruition. So how close was it to that document that, or whatever you were working on when Jim saw it? Not at all. The other four, I think we did four versions of a Muppet Halloween special. One was more monster centric. One was more classic monster, which became a Muppet video game. They, I remember in the, the late 90s or early 2000s, they came to me and said, hey, well, you know that thing you and Jim wrote? Um, and we probably wrote two or three versions of it, like a TV special and a movie and then back to a special. They said, would you be okay if we use that as a premise for a video game where the Muppets turn into classic movie monsters? I said, yeah, it's great, sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't own it, so you can do whatever you want. Thank you for asking. Um, so yeah, nothing to do with that. Actually, nothing, uh, we really couldn't, pull anything from those because they are original stories not based in the haunted mansion and part of the joy of this was really using the characters and the setting of disney's haunted mansion so i mean the only thing we pulled which is kind of obvious is muppets being ghosts <laughs> right <laughs> yeah well i was wondering how you figured out which 
which Muppet would play which character in the Haunted Mansion? It's funny. That's uh, whenever we do something that isn't the Muppets being themselves, that's a huge, huge uh, issue. Uh, the first thing of the obvious was Piggy as Madame Leota. We call her Madame Pigota. Um, and okay. that was, yeah, that was easy. And then I was, I pushed really hard for Fozzie to be Gauzy, the Hatbox Ghost, because he's cuddly enough. Because, you know, the Hatbox Ghost is really kind of a living corpse. You know, he's a mm-hmm. skeleton with eyes. And I thought, well, if we do with Fozzie, he's not going to really scare little kids. And it's kind of funny to see him. If you've seen the poster, he has teeth, which was a big fight. I said, the hatbox goes, if we just Fozzie put dark around his eyes, he just looks like Fozzie and, you know, in emo mm-hmm. guy liner. And uh, I said, so let's give him the teeth. So he kind of resembles the hatbox ghost. So that was a, it wasn't, none of these were battles, but sort of like discussions, I would say. And then the rest kind of fell into place. There wasn't any, uh, you know, those are the, th- the two most iconic characters are Leota that you actually meet in the ride and the Hatbox ghost, the caretaker we had as a human, uh, Darren Chris, who does an amazing job. It's the first human who does a song number with the Muppets and he nailed it. I, I knew who he was from Glee, but I never worked with him. And oh man, we had so much fun. And he gets this whole song number essentially to himself as the caretaker. It's the first song in the movie. Um, and he was great. So uh, let's see, is anyone else were... Well, Bunsen and Beaker get to play the, uh, the 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 busts that follow you, you know the the two busts, and that was funny. It's just a quick cameo. A lot mm-hmm. of them just have quick little moments, and then the ballroom scene was the big casting we had. It's a huge music. It's our giant musical showstopper, and uh, we cast pretty much every Muppet you could think of, and some of them as characters you recognize from the ride. Like one of the obvious ones was well, Rolf has to be the guy at the organ. Mm-hmm. because he's our you know our keyboard player and so we had fun with that and then we got to cast uh sam and uh, and pops as the two uh portraits that the the duelists that in the paintings that turn and fire on each other and then robin a little robin ghost is the kid who's or the character who's worshiping his birthday um, you know blowing out the candles We've got Chip as, uh, I think Pickwick is the name. I didn't, this is, what's great about working with Imagineering is they have this book. They told us that the character who's hanging off the chandelier is named Pickwick, which I never knew. And I'm a big mansion fan. So Chip got to play him. Uh, We just really cast it out after those main ones. It was just sort of the fun of who might look like someone. And then we kind of created our own characters. Um, And then the, the, the ghost host you've never seen in the ride is played by uh, Will Arnett, which is amazing because he's got that deep gravelly voice, you know? Right. He's a human you know? Muppet, sort of. Already. He is. Well, he, he worked really well. He has, uh, he, he can play comedy in a way that doesn't seem like he's being funny. You know what I mean? Like, he seems very serious and, and he's got that dry delivery, which works really well with Gonzo and Pepe. Um, because he can say things in this dead serious, dead, completely deadpan way that makes you laugh, which is not easy. Right. Well, one of the characters in that scene, you got you got Brian Henson back. I yes. Mean, that yes, is amazing. Now. Can you talk well, about that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know how much I want to give away, but yeah, we have a lot. Again, there's a lot, almost every Muppet that isn't a piece of dust right now, isn't a pilot, was used in this. And we had to wardrobe them because no one is wearing modern clothes in the mansion, all these ghosts. So uh, yeah, Brian Henson comes back as, as Sal and there's a quick cameo as Phil Van Neuter. Um, 
Oh. Uh, so I, Muppet fans, you know, Mansion fans might not know any of these characters, but Muppet fans will be, and that's that was kind of the the great joy of this was mashing up deep cuts with Muppets and deep haunted mansion cuts that you know fans of both uh, IPs, uh, fans of both properties will just I think get a, a big kick out of, and I think warrant you know multiple viewings or at least freeze framing going, oh my god, right. <laughs> so there. Well, uh, now you you mentioned again Imagineering helping you with, with identifying characters like Pickwick or that sort of thing, but I was digging through your resume today and came across. This fascinating little reference to the effect of you'd finished working on the Jim Henson hour and went back to LA and was part of the team that was developing dinosaurs with, with Jim. Yeah. But you also mentioned in here that you did some work for Imagineering. I during... did. Well, if you remember that it was 1990, the Disney right. was going to buy the Muppets. Mm-hmm. And so they were developing, they're already developing theme park rides. Mm-hmm. So they brought me in as, well, it's funny. They brought me in as a consultant on that. Mm-hmm. which I ended up not doing so much for, but also designing a ride. Uh, they were going to redo what was the Carousel of Progress, this big uh, spaceship idea, and it was going to have Danny Elfman doing the music, and Michael Jackson was going to play this alien, and it was this huge project. You, you worked on Plecto? You know, the, no. the, the intergalactic circus thing? Yes, I worked on Plecto. I didn't even know. that. I never even heard it called Plecto. Yeah, uh, Tony McVeigh, I brought down. They were looking for alien designers. And so Tony McVeigh, who I'd worked with on uh, Gremlins and Jedi, came down. We designed aliens and gags for about six, seven months. And all the while was consulting on Muppet stuff and developing dinosaurs with Jim. Mm-hmm. And then as, as you know, tragically, Jim passed. But mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, that was an interesting year. And I also, I just, I came back to LA and worked on RoboCop for like four or five months. RoboCop <laughs> That's a crazy okay that's it that's a little whiplash going right there <laughs> yeah so. you know it's i don't know if it's adhd or just luck <laughs> what do you what are you sort of most excited for people to see in this special because it is it is pretty monumental that there it is finally a, a muppet halloween special i think that we've oh tell me this. about it. i mean you're mm-hmm. preaching to the choir I, it's, you know this is like one of those things like like if i died next week i'd be okay all right i got to do that um you know, I've got a couple other things up my sleeve, but this was a big one. Um, I, the music. Okay. I mean, this is kind of tooting my own horn, but we got not only, I, well, part of it was writing. I, they haven't let me write on anything I've directed since, uh, well, since ever. I, I've, I've never been able to be the you know, a writer and director on the same project. So for me, it was really fun to, and again, I think partially it's because of my, my deep fan fanboyish of of the haunted mansion i just knew i knew dialogue from the ride we didn't have to google it um and then writing the music the songs were really important and i've done a couple other projects uh where you know the songs were sort of handed to us and this one we got to write the the three writers the other two writers and i wrote the lyrics and worked really closely with ed mitchell our, our and steve russell our song and composing team to to make these songs that to me are very muppety and very disney it just and, and again, you know, of course I say that because that was the desire, but the, the vibe we got back from even the crew was like, wow, that, the songs came out really fast. We wrote the lyrics, Bill, Kelly, and I would write the lyrics, and then we handed it off once the script was approved to uh, Ed. And then Ed and I would work just for a couple of days. I'm like, what's the melody? What's the tune? And then we'd send it out and, and pretty much every song that people just like, oh, that's great. Like, totally works. So that was really rewarding for me so i think the music will be a big part of it but just i think this big uh the easter eggs i guess for me 
all the different, it's such a great mashup with Muppet Easter eggs and Haunted Mansion Easter eggs sprinkled throughout. And I think people who are fans of both or one or the other will, will have, will get a kick out of seeing how we've, you know, done the mashup. And Disney Easter eggs, correct me if I'm wrong, but was the, was the ballroom song supposed to be a Be Our Guest sort it of was our, it was we, we had originally talked about doing it as a, um, you know, using the same melody, but that didn't work out. And, and I was kind of pushing for, let's write our own song. Let's create a new song. But I think Be Our Guest, Be Our Ghost was our kind of our, our, our guiding light. It was like, we want to do a number that's evocative of that, where basically all these ghosts are like, what a great place this is, you know, be our guest here, join us in the life that came up with the title, Life Hereafter. Um, join us in the life hereafter, uh, sleepless nights, eternal laughter. And so, yeah, Be Our Guest was sort of the the inspiration for what this number was. And it just grew and grew. It it, it originally was going to be a smaller, the song wasn't going to be smaller, but what they do for it. And and Bill Beretta, our executive producer, was like, no, no, this is it, man. You've got to go for it. So I went away for like five days and st- went with a work with a storyboard artist. And we just kind of planned out this huge song. And I think we got about... 95 percent of it and it's it's i forgot you'd have to ask our producers how many elements shots but there's probably 500 shots in terms of blue screen elements and ghost elements and background elements in the song it really is a big blowout number forgive me for asking this but but again you know you you directed second unit on on muppets in space and then you know directed a uh, very Muppet uh, movie, uh, a very Muppet very, Christmas Very, very Muppet movie. Christmas, yeah. Yeah, then The Wizard of Oz, and, and now, and, and in, in between there, uh, Muppet Christmas, uh, Letters to Santa. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer the projects like this where, you know, uh, where the Muppets get to dress up and be characters and play different yes. roles or that sort of thing? Or yes. where the Muppets are the Muppets? I, I've always said, to me, the Muppets are like Monty Python. They're a comedy troupe. Mm-hmm. that do i mean you know they were even designed as a, you know a, 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 a troupe of actors that did stage shows mm-hmm. so for me and also i think the current you know a kermit piggy gonna get i always say this the kermit piggy gonna get married i don't care anymore like either mm-hmm. they are or they aren't let's move on mm-hmm. um and i think for movies now not for a tv series but for movies or mm-hmm. short form things like this i like seeing them like treasure island or christmas carol thrown into a genre and so Haunted, but and this is kind of the best of both worlds. We get to see the Muppets as the Muppets at a Halloween party celebrating Halloween, and then we get to see the Muppets as haunted mansion residents. So it kind of we got to our cake and eat it too, um, which was again part of the fun of this. It was like, oh gosh, we get to do everything. And uh, one of our concerns was that people knew that the, the ghosts in the mansion were not dead Muppets. They were, and we we actually have a line of dialogue that explains. And it's fun because it's buried in the haunted, the actual haunted mansion dialogue. Uh, when you're on the ride, they say uh, they're responding to your sympathetic vibrations. You know, the spirits are you're going to start seeing things because they're responding to your sympathetic vibrations. I said, well, let's let's pivot on that and say th- things will look familiar to you because they're responding to your your sympathetic vibrations, and it's going to look the, the the spirits. And again, this is part of the plot. They want to entice you to join them. So of course they're going to make it look familiar. So of course, two two Muppets, many of the denizens are going to look Muppety to make them feel at home. So we that was it was an interesting. It's interesting you brought that up. That was a discussion in the beginning. Like, are kids going to think that the Muppets are in costume at the mansion? Or like, no, no, no. We make it very clear in the introduction when they go in 
that what you see here is basically the house. And again, it's been used in other haunted house movies. Like it's going to make you see what you want to see or what you're comfortable seeing. Right. Well, could you, I know we're running out of time, but I, I, I know that Jim and I are both very curious about this screen technology that you guys were using. That yes. Is, is sort of that was Mandalorian-esque, right? Exactly. The same technology, uh, Unreal Engine was the software used. And it's the only way we could have done this. I mean, even if, I mean, for any kind of schedule and budget, uh, it, it, we built the, we built a virtual haunted mansion and it's uh, it looks great we we learned a lot doing it i think i'm not the first person to say this i think the future of filmmaking is going to use this a lot um i want to use it again because you can it just opens you up to doing things there's there's certain tricks about shooting it that aren't traditional the weirdest thing is when you know you, you get there as a director you're like oh i don't move the camera i move the room but i'm not really moving the room i'm just moving the room on that screen or those screens and so, you know, in a traditional movie, you're doing a reverse. You don't spin the set around. You just flip your, you know, you have your, you move your camera around. So our cameras are always facing essentially, you know, one direction, like a proscenium. In some ways, it's like filming a play. Yet you could do reverses and overs and everything. You just move the background. And then the lighting that comes along with it, what traditionally, like if we had to do this five years ago and we couldn't shoot in the mansions because they're not really suitable for filming you do it on green screen or you would spend a ton of money and build a haunted mansion set that you'd have to tear down um the thing with green screen is you're always fighting the uh, inappropriate or uh incorrect lighting because you have to light the green screen right but it's not going to look like you're in a dimly lit room with cobwebs and candlelight it's gonna you have to get the green screen lit properly so with this technology the lighting panels that aren't the ones you're that are all visible on camera, but that light from the, the ceiling and the sides are using the imagery from the rooms you've generated or the environments you've generated to light the characters, this interactive lighting. So they, they composite in so much better. Even if you have to jump to a green screen because you haven't built the background or whatever, uh, you get this interactive lighting that really sells it there's it was funny for everyone we'd be sitting looking you're looking at the, the puppets in front of a very large i said our big television set but then you look on the monitor like oh no they're in a room <laughs> they're in a graveyard you know they're in this and then you kind of look it, it really is that weird disconnect where you look at you know the magic trick is revealed that still it still works when you look at it on the monitor and one thing that was great about the muppets they're used to watching the monitor. That's how they perform. They're not, not, they're not looking around the room. I think it was uh, a bit of a trick for the actors because they're not used to standing in front of a TV and looking out basically a camera crew staring at them. And then, you know, when you do a reverse, they just stand there or, you know, just turn your back or whatever. And then suddenly, you know what I mean? It, 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 it took a couple days for everyone, even uh, the DP and the director of photography, Craig and I just kind of like, Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> The camera doesn't move that much. You know, you can dolly left or right or push in and out. And that's about it. The rest of it is you're moving the room. So it gave us a lot of freedom of where we could go. We, we built essentially a whole virtual version of the, the Haunted Mansion. And, uh, and you get to light it any way you want. Even if it's not physically possible, you can have, you know, fake candles lighting a real a fake room. I mean, that was the biggest challenge for the whole thing was almost nothing was there. The only thing that was really there was the actors and the puppets. Everything else was either green screened or blue screened and comped in later or was on a TV in the background that wasn't a real room. 
At this point, you directed multiple movies that celebrate Christmas. You got a TV movie set at Thanksgiving, and and now Muppet Haunted Mansion, Valentine's, the Halloween. Any other holidays you're jonesing to do stuff about? (laughs) That's funny. We joked about that. The Muppet Easter special. Uh, Not uh, in my perfect world. I would just do Halloween movies for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, and like I said, there's probably like seven Muppet Christmas movies, and this is mm-hmm. one Halloween. I'm like, hey, let's even it up a little bit. Uh, um, I was joking with friends today about like, let's do a Muppet Werewolf Thanksgiving. You know, just <laughs> like why not just have Muppet monsters and monsters at every holiday? Uh, but to, to seriously answer question, there is no other holiday. We actually, it's funny. Jim Lewis and I pitched a Muppet Valentine's Day special years ago. Because, you know, aside from Kermit and Piggy and Gonzo and Camilla and maybe Floyd and Janice, there's not a lot of couples. And we thought, well, we could have fun either doing famous, you know, either they're reenacting, you know, Romeo and Juliet or famous love scenes, or we just sort of the Muppets are, you know, getting together for something. And you just kind of explore the relationships that are essentially just hinted at, except for, again, Kermit and Piggy and a little bit Gonzo and, and Camilla. But yeah, aside of a burning desire, no, there's no other holidays that uh, that I've been trying to. <laughs> Trust me, 27 years on Halloween, I'm burnt out. Okay. <laughs> well, are there I, any I, other attractions that you would like to insert the Muppets into? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and uh, I mean, they're fairly obvious which ones. Since they just did Jungle Cruise, hmm. uh, there's about three attractions, again, that I love and I would love to. And well, Pirates of the Caribbean's been done. In fact, Muppet. Treasure Island was my my big inspiration for it was Pirates of the Caribbean as a kid and just loving that world and and then you know pirate movies uh, and we did it before uh, we actually had uh, more like kind of spooky elements in the original draft of Muppet Treasure Island uh, we had Tiki Gods coming to life and all that but yeah there's three other rides I don't want to say it because I don't want to give it away but anyone who's been to Disneyland more than twice would guess you know I don't think uh, the teacups are going to inspire a ride. <laughs> Muppet Carousel of Progress. We are that ready. Dang no. it. You guessed it. <laughs> well, uh, Kirk, thank you so much for chatting with us. This was a big oh, thrill. Right. We'll talk thank to you. Guys. Okay, bye. Thank Thanks. you, Kirk. Take care, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good thank one. Thank you, Kirk. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, you've actually seen Muppet uh, Haunted Mansion, which which goes live tomorrow on Disney+. Plus. Yes have a a favorite part a favorite scene or i well i would never give anything away unlike (sighs) you jim um but i will say how about i tease this a a returning character and i don't think we talked about this during our interview but joe from legal from muppets now will make an appearance in muppets haunted mansion so that's my little tease there yes well yes Okay, I'm 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 kind of intrigued by that. Okay, well again, yeah, check that out on, on uh, Disney Plus. And speaking of things you should be checking out, Light Diffuse is honestly one of my favorite p- podcasts out there, and it's not just because Drew does it; it's in spite of me doing it. I think no, <laughs> no, no. I just I I so enjoy the great stories you get out of the people who've worked on. John Wick and the Top Gun films and, and, and of course, you know, the, the Mission Impossible film series. Do we have anybody interesting coming on the show soon or? 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're right now we're working on uh, getting some guests for December because that is the 10th anniversary of Mr. Brad Bird's uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. So if you love that film as much as we do, and I'm assuming if you're listening to a podcast about animation, you love Brad Bird, uh, I think it would be worth tuning in and, uh, for that. But we've got great episodes until then, obviously, but that, that's what we're kind of working on right now. So Killer there you go. Sir. Okay. Before I forget here, another thing you really, really, really need to be doing is paying attention to Drew on social media. I just it, It's such great fun to, to, to see who you're chatting with or, <laughs> or who you're poking at. Uh, can you tell folks how, how they can find you on social media? Sure. They can find me at Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And Jim, you didn't tell us about your podcast. Well, okay. We got Disney Dish with Len Testa. We got uh, Marvelous Disney, uh, the Marvel News podcast I do with Aaron Adams, which is now weekly. And Aaron is is the poor gentleman who comes at the, the D shows. With, with the machete to remove all the stuff I'm not supposed to say. We also have Universal Joint and looking at Lucasfilm and I, I want that and I will actually get those things out the door soon. Um, but in the meantime, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to now, fine-tuning, but also, you know, uh, say get, say some nice stuff about, uh, you know, Light the Fuse, because it's a show that certainly deserves that. If you like what you heard here tonight, you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful as well. Anywhere else, uh, some Drew Taylor goodness is going to bubble up. I mean, we, we had that wonderful story in the, the New York Times. There are, there are things coming, but not not yet. But as soon as they are out, I will, of course, share them with, with you and with all of our listeners. But, yeah, until then. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. I won't be, be a nudge. Our side of the fence, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And that will do it for this week. Thanks again for listening and Get, and again, thanks for that great catch at the top of the show with the Scarlett Johansson news. That's that's going to be interesting. I've heard the number was $40 million, Jim, and I <laughs> think that's about enough to clear up any hurt feelings on either side of that <laughs> argument. So there you I, go. I, I, the, the interesting thing is what sort of Hallmark card do you get for a moment like that? You know, it's like, right. you know, <laughs> I'm sorry I was a jerk at the, the highest possible level of the company. Please accept this enormous pile of cash. So, right. All right. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back soon.